So, um, so I, uh, I've got a best friend, and my best friend have been praying, walking with him for over 25 years. He lives in England, in Worcestershire. And he came to, um, to Canada. I knew him as my best friend before he became a, a software business leader. He designed some software and so on. So he came here and he fell in love with a Thunderbird, a T-Bird, 1962. So he bought it here in Kelowna and wanted it all done up and uh, then said to me, why don't we go across Canada and America together, get it to Toronto, go on a road trip for my 50th birthday. He's 50, you see. So I said, okay. And he said, we'll stop off and we'll go down to Spokane and we'll travel 2,925 miles. Seemed like a good idea at the time. In the 1962 Thunderbird. Seemed kind of cool. Never done anything like this in the 1962 Thunderbird. So we got ready and he flew in and off we started our journey. And as we went over the hill at Big White and started to go down the other side, we heard this noise that was not a good sign. The wheels started shaking. Everything went wrong. And a mechanical problem happened that you could not foresee. And we were there by the side of the road. Feel sorry for me, at least. And uh, that, thank you. And, uh, and at that moment, the, that road trip was over. So we went back and we thought, what are we going to do? The BCAA man looked at this and went, never seen this in 35 years. And when the BCAA man goes, you know you're in trouble, right? So I'm like, oh. So we get it, get it, get it back. We sit there. And as we sit there, we go, what are we going to do? This is 50th. So, um, so uh, we went, okay, we could canoe up the Gold Coast. That would be really good. We looked at the weather app. Michelle looked at the weather app. It's raining seven days. Oh. We could go to Chicolton's and go fishing. So we thought about that. Fly in at Stewart's Lodge. Yeah, that would be good for an English guy. And we looked at the weather app. Rays, uh, raining for the next 40 days. And then Michelle just simply said, why don't you add up all the mileage and everything, and why don't you go to Hawaii? Let me tell you something. That is a woman of God right there. That, is, that was a Hawaii 5.0, she said. So we added up because it was going to cost. So we decided eight hours later, we left the T-Bird and we flew to Hawaii. And, um, and that's why I believe in God. No, but sometimes we face situations and sometimes we, we know and things go wrong and we wonder where the journey is going to take us. And sometimes we wonder about life. And I know we're raising children and different journeys that sometimes you have to accept what happens and then go, okay, God, where are you going to take me next? What are you going to do? God, do you have something out of this that I can't see? And he was so depressed, but we had a good time anyway, and it was good. And as we start to think about uh, Ruth, here we go, um, as we think about Galatians, um, 
If you click the little cursor on that, it should come on. There we go. Well, no. Ah, brilliant. Well done, Bailey. Let me read these verses as we begin the story in Galatians. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave us, gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. There's a problem in the church in Galatia. If you don't know where Galatia is, it's in the middle of Turkey. You've got the outer region where Constantinople is in Turkey, where on the Mediterranean. You have the middle region, and then you have the kind of outer region that goes out towards, you know, that uh, Iran and Iraq region. It is Galatia. Interesting that Galatia, 250 years earlier to this period, was actually, it was, it was an area that was, that was uh, a group of Celts. Celts aren't just Scottish and Welsh, but Celts were all over uh, the ancient world. And a group of mercenary Celts came and moved into Galatia. So they were like Scots and Welsh, I guess, these days. But they moved into that area and they had a language as far as Portugal and northern Spain that linked the Celtic tribes all together. So they were quite remarkable. And this region, Galatia, was ruled by different kings until the Romans arrived. And when the Romans turned up in Turkey, they took over the region. And by this time, it became a province of the Roman Empire. And as it became a province of the Roman Empire, the Apostle Paul went and preached in this region. And as he preached... Now remember, the first part of Galatians, actually we can trace back the earliest, uh, earliest pieces of the Galatians letter to within 15 years of the death of Jesus Christ. That's important. Because sometimes people say to us, hey, the Bible's just a fairy tale. Whereas well, you look at the history of Alexander the Great, you can only get within 500 years of the closest fragments of the stories of Alexander the Great. And yet Galatians is the, one of the earliest writings of the Christian faith. And it is written by the Apostle Paul. And if you don't know who the Apostle Paul is, he was a, 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 a brilliant mind. He was... He was this, this ability to communicate and to think. He was one of the greatest thinkers of all the ancient world, in fact. But before he became a Christian, he was amongst the elite of the Jewish establishment that used to teach amongst the Pharisees theology and ideas and thoughts. He was trained in the Oxford of the Jewish world. He was, as it were, got his degree from Harvard. He was a man of excellence and brilliance. And he was a man that hated Christianity completely. Until one day, Jesus Christ met him on the road of, to Damascus and impacted his life and completely changed him. And he physically met Jesus Christ in his life. And at that point, he became prolific in his writing and prolific in sharing the good news of the Messiah with the world. 
And he had experienced the power of Christ in such a way that he knew this, that if anybody took even an ounce away from the gospel of the truth of Jesus Christ on the cross, then there is trouble. And so the context of this letter is about a church. A church that is in trouble. A church that is falling apart. A church that has been infiltrated by people. A church that is crumbling because of false doctrine that has entered into this church. You could call it a prodigal church. You know the story in Luke chapter 15, a young man is in the father's house. He says to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate. He took the share of the estate, went off and and squandered that inheritance in wild living. He ended in the pig pen and after a while he said to himself, How many of my father's uh, hired men have food to spare. I will go back to my father and I will say, Father, I have sinned against heaven, against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. This church is a prodigal church. Now you may say, can churches become prodigal churches? The truth is, Churches can become prodigal churches. You and I can become prodigal people because when we get our theology wrong and we lose the essence of the purity of the orthodox of the gospel, what happens within our lives is we're in danger of becoming a prodigal in terms of ending up in the theological pig pen. And when we end up in the theological pig pen, we lose our direction because we've lost knowledge of the foundations of the Christian faith. So as we teach Galatians, and we're doing it as a whole network, what we know is is that we have to get our theology right on the foundation. And Paul sees that the church in Galatia has got their theology wrong. I mean, where do you go when you fail? Where do you go when instead of being patient, you become impatient and angry? Where do you go When instead of being kind, you're mean and hateful. When your life becomes full of jealousy and envy. When you find yourself boastful and arrogant. When you find yourself thinking about yourself all the time. Keeping hold of people's wrongs and not forgiving people. When your life goes out of control and you make bad mistakes. You act in a relationship in a wrong way. You get involved in situations that compromise your faith. Where do you go? What is the way to receive a new beginning and a new start, even as a Christian? Well, we receive that new beginning, unlike Adam and Eve, that when they failed, they hid from God. And it's interesting That when a lot of people fail, they end up running away from God and they hide from God. And, and, And like Adam and Eve, they're hiding from God. But what Paul is so desperate to remind them is that when we fail and when we lose our way, there is only one place where we find true hope. And that one face is, is in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the grace of God. It's everything's about the grace of God. It's about the grace of God. Because let me explain what Galatians is about. It is about the grace of God that is given to every one of us as a free gift. We can never forget 
that we have received the gift of salvation by the grace of God. There's nothing I can do. There's no way I can earn it. There's no way I can achieve it. It is such a beautiful gift that when you are saved, you have received the greatest gift in all of this world. And that gift is the gift that your sins are forgiven, that God loves you, and God promises that you will live for eternity. This is the grace of God. I couldn't earn it. I couldn't work for it. I couldn't be religious. I couldn't be, be religious and do certain acts and rites and follow traditions to get it. There's no way I can do these things. But there's a problem in Galatia. Because what people are saying is, you've got the gospel plus something else. Now can I just say this? A gospel plus something else is no gospel. A gospel plus, plus something else is no gospel. What do I mean plus? Well, that they're saying is, you've got Jesus, but really to be a child of God, you need to follow rules. And Paul is so frustrated with this. He says, again, he says, you're, you're believing a false gospel. Who has bewitched you? He says, have I labored in vain that you should fall away? Have you been cut off from the grace of God that visited you? So this is a prodigal church with a major problem. Now the lovely thing is that Paul didn't, as it were, theologically at this point, take them out behind the shed and give them a kind of big theological beating. He wants to win them back. Because when people wander away from the foundations of the truth of the Christian faith, God's heart is always to win people's back. God's heart is to help people to find their way back to him. And the letter of Galatians, although it's harsh at times, is about a father saying, I love you, will you come back? And I'm going to help you come back because you've lost your way. How many of us know Christians that have lost their way? They've given up the faith. They've started to believe something here. They've started to step into a situation where, where they've started to believe other kind of values and base and, and move away from the, from the belief that Scripture is God-inspired and God-breathed and the inerrancy of Scripture. And rather than believing what the Bible says and what the Bible gives, they start to believe other truths. And suddenly their faith becomes watered down and they lose their direction. And before you know it, they've walked away from the Christian faith. So many of us know this kind of situation. I've had it with some of my closest friends that have walked away. But I love this beginning. In verse 3, he says, grace and peace to you from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. I love that he starts off when he says, grace and peace. He's saying, you've gone the wrong way. You're going in the wrong direction. Your navigation system is wrong. But I want to say to you, grace and peace. In other words, there is a way back to God. There is always a way back to God. There is a hope where you can find a way back to what the gospel is and the truth of the gospel and what God, the gospel can do in our lives. And they were lost. Now, why were they lost? Well, they were lost 
because a group of false teachers came into the church in Galatia and started to teach that yes, you've received the Messiah, but really to be a child of Abraham, to be one of the chosen people, you are Gentiles, then what you need to do is you need to follow the law of Moses. You need to have Jesus and the Old Testament. You need to dress a certain way. You need to act a certain way. You need to eat certain foods and abstain from other foods. And this is what Paul is is talking about. And indeed, you guys now all need to be circumcised. And the worrying thing was that these teachers, who Paul calls Judaizers, who came in must have been pretty convincing, right? Right? Because if I was like a believer in Jesus and a group of guys came in and started teaching and I'm like in my 30s and 40s and they say, but what you really need to do is to be circumcised. I'd be like, oh, time out. No, thank you. I don't know about you or maybe too much on that subject. They must have been really persuasive. Theologians say they must have been persuasive because in the ancient world amongst pagans, the very idea of circumcision was was crazy. It was crazy, first of all, for obvious reasons as a grown person and without the ability of our national health service that we have. But it was crazy also because of the worry of infection that would, would kill a person. You see, what killed people in the ancient world was infections. And if you got an infection, there were no antibiotics to cure infections. That was what worried. So the ancient world were like, no. And they're undermining the teaching of of Paul all the time. And the alarm bells are going off. And the alarm bells are going off and saying, stop right now. Listen, this is wrong He's saying, you need to get back to the reality that you cannot save yourself. That it's not about how good you are, or how righteous you are, or how well behaved you are, or how correct you are. Salvation of Jesus Christ comes as a gift of God, and you cannot earn it, but he comes and brings salvation into your life. Even for some of us here, at times... We might say to ourselves, is it true and enough that a man hanging on a cross and then went into a grave and rose again and I ask him to come into my life and I repent of my sins and he gives me the gift of salvation. Is this truly enough for me to make it in life? It's so simple and yet it's so profound. Is this really enough? The truth is, I want to remind you this. I just want to say that Jesus is always enough. Jesus is always enough. That what Jesus did on the cross is enough. You don't have to add because a gospel that adds and things onto it is no gospel at all. It's like saying, I'm drowning. And while I'm drowning, I'm going to teach myself to swim. I don't know if you've ever drowned and survived. I've drowned. I I, I experienced this. I was in a place in Spain called Lorette de Mar. You won't know it unless you're English. 
and you know that everybody, it's a cheap holiday place where English people go. My dad and my mum took me, I was 12 years old, I was Josiah's age, and the waves of the Mediterranean were breaking up, it was a big swell, big waves, and I said, oh, I'll be fine, I went into the water, I was sort of surfing around, and all of a sudden, I felt myself being sucked out, underwater, and then a wave would break, and I was being thrown, and back, forward, and back and forward, I was going to die. I did not at that moment pull out my smartphone and look for a YouTube on how to learn to swim in the middle of a rough sea. I did not at that moment pull out a manual and go, okay, what do I need to do? I'm going to teach myself. I was dying, I was drowning, and that was me over. And I just remember relaxing and remembering my geography class and knowing that there are three big waves and seven small waves. And I hoped that the last three waves were the big waves and, and then that the seven small waves were coming. You feeling my pain? And I was in, and I was out, and I was in, and I was out, and I was rushed And then all of a sudden, I felt this burning sensation down the side of my neck. And I grabbed hold of this, and randomly, underwater, I found a rope that was connected, apparently, when I found it later, to a fishing boat out on the Mediterranean. And as I held on to this rope, I just held on. It seemed like forever. And I pulled myself because I'd received a line to save me. What Paul is saying is that every one of us is drowning in our sin. Everyone is unable to save ourselves. Every one of us is suffering. But he says to us, we cannot teach ourselves. We can't be religious. We can't run the seminars to learn. We can't do the right things when we're dying in our sin. What we need is a lifeline. And that lifeline is the power and the gospel of Jesus Christ that drags us out of a sea of judgment and sin and sets us onto dry ground and we become saved and we become free. Amen? That's what happens. I can't do it myself. Don't have Jesus plus something else. Don't have the gospel plus this plus this. And I remember I walked out and I was like, oh, dad, dad. And he was sat there with his beer and... Um, and I said, I nearly drowned, Dad. And he went, oh, lovely. Yeah, good. I thought, oh, you're drunk. And so I carried on with my life. But I remember that moment. And I tell you what, I am so thankful. I'm so thankful for that line when I think about it. But I'm so thankful that when I was a sinner, there was no way out except I met Jesus Christ. And that is the grace of God. And the crisis in Galatia is this crisis. And here he says, who gave himself for our sins. I love this little word, for our sins. In other words, this is what we call theologically, 
penal substitution. In other words, or substitution theology, it's that I cannot pay for my sins. I am going to be judged, but Christ took the judgment for me and paid for my sins. And in the process of paying for my sins, the rescue line came down and God's grace lifted me up and God put me on solid ground and he saved me and he gave himself for my sins to rescue us from the present evil age. What Paul is saying is that the Christian faith is not about fulfilling religious obligations like circumcision or right food or right religious acts. The Christian faith is a rescue mission for the whole of Christianity. And if you're in Jesus, you have been rescued. What have you been rescued from? You've been rescued from this evil age. From the sin. We're not of this world. And we've been rescued from an evil age. And all of Paul's message here, as we start in Galatians, is about that he's saying, don't lose the gospel. See, there are groups that have added on to the gospel that have said, well, we kind of believe Jesus, but we believe in this Book of Mormon. Or we kind of believe this, but we believe in this. And they become Christian sects. They become groups that no longer believe in, in the divinity of Christ. They no longer believe in the virgin birth. They no longer believe in the death uh, of, of Jesus Christ for the salvation of the world. They no longer believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You see, there are so many foundational truths to the Christian faith. But there are groups out there that want to take those foundational and have taken those foundational truths away. One of those truths is, hey... You know, if you're good enough and you love everybody, then that's good enough for you to get to heaven. Okay, so if I'm good enough and I love everybody, that's good enough for me to get to heaven. Really? Then why did Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, need to be nailed to that cross? He had no need to die if all I need to be is good enough. Because when he was nailed to that cross... He paid the price for your sin and for my sin. He paid the price. And we can't lose the power of the gospel. And Paul is seeing a church that is becoming a prodigal. And his whole message is about grace. His whole preaching is about grace. His whole book is about grace. His whole missionary journeys into Europe was about grace, about pagans, about Jews, about everybody entering into a relationship with the living God. It was all about grace. And when we get religious and we get harsh... And we say, you've got to do this, believe in this, but then do this, do this, do this, do this. We're missing the point. And so he says that we, he who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of God the Father, whom get, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. These are my points. There is a church in Galatia that has become a prodigal church. Now don't say to me, 
that Protestant churches cannot become prodigal uh, churches. You only have to read last century's history to know that much of the German Lutheran church committed an apostate by putting the teachings of Hitler even on the altars of their churches and which took place, they, they, they stepped away from the truth. It was a great crisis. That's why a guy like Bonhoeffer started the new Lutheran movement and eventually he died for it because he was opposing the, the churches that became part of the German Reich at that time and the Nazi party and the whole thing. So it's possible that even churches with nationalism can lose the purity and the glory of the gospel in the same way that you and I can lose it. We mustn't lose truth. And they'd lost their way. And the reason they'd lost their way is because that somebody was telling them, you need Jesus plus this plus that. And they lost the message of grace. And I know in Pursuit Night School, what we're doing and what I'm doing over the next six weeks and then over 18 weeks until next summer is teaching the, our statement of faith. We have a very complex, beautiful document in our family of churches that is theologically rooted in the ancient truths of the, of the Christian faith. Although we're independent church movement, we have beautiful truths that are rooted, 18 articles. And each week on Tuesday night in the Pursuit Room, I will be teaching the foundations. When I say, who is God? Do you understand truly who is God? Because when we have we doctrine, we have weak Christians, and when we have weak Christians who have weak doctrine, when any error comes along, we're in danger of being blown this way and that way. And I'd encourage you, at the beginning of your Galatians series, to think about coming on Tuesday evening, if you don't know what are the real foundations of who God is, and the whole journey of the foundations of what it means to be a Christian at a theological level. Because this church lost their way. And I want to finish on this word. Amen. I love that word. Amen. Amens are really important. Because amen means, so be it. Amen. And where I want to live as a Christian is on and in the amen. So be it. I want to live in the amen. I want to live in this place where I know that the Son of the living God came down from glory and walked amongst men and showed mankind the light of the world. Amen. That's where I want to live. I want to live in a place where on that day in Golgotha, to look up and to see the Son of God bleeding and dying and had the whole of humanity's sin placed upon him. And he entered the darkest void as he was separated from God and he gave his life for humanity and all of humanity's pain. I want to live in that amen that Jesus died for all. I want to live in that place as I look at an empty tomb. That on the third day, as I look at that place, Jesus rose again. And as he rose again, I want to live in that place in the amen. 
He sent the Spirit to the church. I want to live in the Amen. In other words, so be it. I believe it. It is true. So be it true. It is there. And what Paul wants to get Galatians back to, he wants them to come back to the so be it. Grace and peace. Will you live in the amen? Will you live in the truth of God? That when you hear truth, you are able to say amen. And when you hear error, you're able to say, hmm, no, I'm not going that route. I believe that Jesus Christ is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. Amen. I've got to live in the amen. The so be it. Because it's the amen that changed my life from a fallen sinner to becoming a child of the living God. So as you begin this series, live in the amen. Live in the gospel. Preach the gospel to yourself. Remind yourself of the goodness of the gospel. And as you take the bread and wine in a moment, you say, Amen. His blood washed away my sin. His body was broken for me. I remember it and I say, Amen. That's where I'm going to live.